0: Morning, everybody. Tell you what, I was uh, just in the lobby and what came in, walked down the aisle just a moment ago, and from the back looking and seeing all the, I mean, you know, July 4th is in the middle of the week when you have this kind of crowd in July. So I just want to say you're here until Wednesday. I get it. All right. No, so glad you've joined us and want to take a moment and welcome those of you watching online and in particular, uh, all of our guys over at Dye Ball. we love you guys. You're part of our church family. Let's give it up for them. For those of you that are just joining us and your guest is so glad to have you, whether it's here or it's Dye Ball, uh, we invite you to just dip your toe in the water and experience Timber Creek. But uh, if you don't know, we have launched several locations. Uh, our plan is to create community destinations where anyone can find and follow Jesus. And what we're wanting to do is create these different places like, uh, like our prison venues, like the location just across the parking lot where Glacia Timber Creek, our Spanish ministry meets uh, at 11 o'clock. Uh, we have 22,000 square foot of space leased in Nacogdoches. We just finalized some plans with uh, our architect. Uh, They're going into bid, and we're designing some other stuff where we will be launching our Nacogdoches location in the soon and coming months. So exciting things things happening, it's a great time to be a part of not just like church, but of what God is doing uh, through the local church. We also want to celebrate that today is the final day of the Old Testament in the sermon series that we've been going through. Starting in Super Bowl Sunday, we began a uh, 31-chapter experience moving through the Bible in chronological order from Genesis to Revelation, and today is our final story from the Old Testament and the book of Nehemiah, and next week we will start... The birth of Jesus. It's going to be Christmas in July around here. We're going to have a good time. we got summer Santa coming, everyone. Summer Santa. So bring the kids. It's going to be great. I don't know if we've confirmed that or not. But we're planning on a Santa with shorts and sunglasses and we'll be in the lobby. You can have your kids and you can take pictures with summer Santa. So anyway, we're going to jump in today to the story. But to, to start, I want to just give us the scripture. We're going to pray. Then I'm going to kind of catch us up to speed of where the scripture takes us this morning. The book of Nehemiah. And we're going into the 6th chapter. Let me show you where we go. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. So when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, all of those were enemies to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is the one writing the story. I, Nehemiah, had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. When all that word came to those guys. Although up to that time, I had not seen the doors, you know, I had not set the doors and the gates. It was still left to be done, like a true carpenter. You know, you say, this looks great. Well, I forgot to set the door. You know, I got to get the door set. Sam Ballad and Geshem sent me this message. His enemies say, hey, what's up? Come, let's meet together in one of the Starbucks on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. Nehemiah could see right through it. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. He was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and he was on his ladder and he wouldn't move. He says, why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Now there at Dyball and right here in Lufkin, let's read those, those words in blue again together. Everybody out loud, let's go. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? It's an important thought for today. Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. There is vision, character, persistence, perseverance, focus, opposition, criticism, attacks, practical insights, and deep spiritual insights through this book chronicling the story of Nehemiah. And it's not only useful for way back then, it's very useful for right here, right now. Would you pray with me? Father, the next few moments we have as we unpack this story and we put some handlebars on it for Monday through Saturday, um, would you do what only you can do and maybe reveal to us some areas in our hearts where we, that we, we've not stood strong? Or maybe areas of distraction, or maybe there's something that's... Uh, We don't even know that it's something that could be dangerous. Open our eyes today as we listen to your word. Spirit of God, thank you for inviting us. We're not the ones inviting you into this place today. You are the host. We are the guest. You've invited us in to hear from you. May we hear from you and never be the same. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Everybody said amen. So the time is 440 years before Christ, 440 B.C. And for 100 years, the Jewish nation has been in captivity. The kingdom split into two, northern and southern kingdom. Northern kingdom attacked and ransacked. And that whole part of the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes of of Israel are taken captive And then the southern kingdom a few years later, the two remaining tribes of the 12 tribes, Judah and Benjamin, they're taken captive by Babylon, Babylonian king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and they're taken into captivity, and that's where we hear of Daniel. We've talked about Daniel in the last few weeks. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story of Esther. Uh, in the Babylonian Empire, being under, under captivity. And in that captivity, they are indoctrinated to all kinds of new beliefs and systems. All the while, their city of Jerusalem lays in rubble. And in 444 B.C., the new king comes onto the scene. It's Artaxerxes. Last week, we talked about Esther. And Esther was married to the king Xerxes. Son of Xerxes was Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. And in Artaxerxes' reign, uh, he is uh, still em- employing all of the Jewish people. And there's one particular employee he has, and the employee's name, right there in the palace, is named Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he doesn't mow the lawn. He doesn't. He doesn't uh, clean uh, the house. He's got a very particular job, a very specific job. He is the wine taster. He's the cup bearer. For the king, now that sounds like a pretty, pretty cool deal. But it's not the kind of you know wine tasting like, mmm, I smell tones of body of what I don't know. I've never done that, but, but like, mmm, I just smell. Mm. Like, he doesn't do that. He he's not there to taste the goodness of the wine. He's there to taste and see, see if some assassin is trying to poison the king. And so the king, you know, gets his fajitas, and before the king can eat his fajitas. He passes a little bit to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah sits there and makes his his fajitas, and it's good. He's like, ha ha! He's like, hey, dilly dilly. (laughs) And Nehemiah lives another day before he opens up the champagne, hands the bottle to, to Nehemiah, gives him the thumbs up. He says, all right, let's do this. And so it could be that at some point, Nehemiah says, hey, keep, and he's done, and he's there. He's like, oh, open up another bottle somewhere, everybody. So Nehemiah has got this easy but deadly job. And because of that, he becomes friends with the king. He has the ear to the king. Now, like a lot of the kingdom movies, you see what's happening on the ground level inside the, the palace atrium and the, and the throne room. But then underneath in the basement, in the, in the dark places of the palace, the real life is going on with all of the servants. And you go down underneath, underneath the, the, the floor of the palace and you get into the real rooms where, where Cinderella lives, you know. And, and you get down into there and, and it's, the, it's the steam and it's the cooks and it's the washing pans. And it's the, it, it's the people that are coming in and out of the palace and they've been working all day. And, and it's, where, it's where a lot of the Jews are. They're just kind of down there. And Nehemiah's right along there with them. And somehow the word gets through to Nehemiah from a friend, from a relative actually. They had come back from Jerusalem and what they had thought was happening is that years earlier there had been a group taken over to Jerusalem to help rebuild the temple. And they were excited. It's not like they could get on Facebook and check the status. They didn't know what was going on. And when news comes back that the temple had not been rebuilt, that the city was not thriving again. But that it was still desecrated and demolished, it it tears Nehemiah up from the inside out. His relative begins to tell him that there's fires everywhere and there's an inch of ash on everything and children are in the streets crying and the walls are torn down and enemies can just take a raid and just gallop in, plunder and rape and just gallop out. And... It's just a mess, and it tears Nehemiah up. And it obviously affects him to the point where he feels like he has to say something, and it affects him physically. You know, it's hard to keep hard news in. It can affect your whole body language, can't it? And so Nehemiah goes up to do his taste testing for the king, and when he's with the king, the king says, hey, Nehemiah, is something bothering What's going on? You want to talk? And the Bible says it like this. The Bible says, I prayed and answered the king. Like, in that moment. So it's not like he said, let me go get my prayer shawl and go to my prayer closet. Let me go find my war room. You know, it wasn't like, let me go in and get my Bible and go journal. He prayed and he answered the king. It's what we call a flare prayer. Anybody ever had a flare prayer where you just say, oh, Jesus, help me. That, that's, that's, that's the flare prayer in Nehemiah. Oh, God, help me. You know, some of you, you put the, one of the wheels in the car on the, on, the, on the loose gravel on the highway going 70. And you kind of, oh, Jesus. And some of you are praying and some of you aren't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a flare prayer. It's a flare prayer. And Nehemiah throws up a flare prayer and he says, King, my city's in ruins. Uh, King before you said we could go rebuild. They're not doing it. And I'd love to go. And ne- Nehemiah gets favor with the king, and he's able to go. And sure enough, the stories that were told to him in the deep, dark, uh, uh, mildewy basement of the palace are true and actually worse in person. And he walks around the city, and he weeps, and he cries for the city. And he has to do something. So he, he, he doesn't start with the temple of God. You would think you would start there. He doesn't start with the homes. He starts by rebuilding the wall. And as he begins to rebuild the wall, we've just read that he has all kinds of opposition and distractions. He's trying to do a good thing. He's doing a good work. And people want him to come off of the good stuff to be distracted in those moments. Take your notes and let's write some of these things down. One of the lessons we we see happening here is is this. It's, It's applied to Nehemiah, but it's also applied to us. Number one, everyone, everyone. Rich or poor, young or old, Christian or still seeking. Everyone experiences distractions disguised as opportunities and those distractions can become deadly. You know, we're halfway done with 2018, everybody. There is no getting the first half back. And whatever resolution you said on December 30th going into the new year, whatever idea you had to You know, lose that weight, get back in the the gym, save a bunch of money on your car insurance by switching to Geico, all those things, it's like we're six months in. And my question for you is, have there been distractions? And the answer probably is, yeah. And sometimes distractions look like opportunities, but they're not opportunities, they're distractions that actually become deadly to where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do. Maybe this year... There's a project you want to finish by the end of 2018. Maybe there's a project you want to start. Maybe there's a habit that you've been wanting to break or a habit you want to begin. You know the thing with habits? Bad habits are easy to make and hard to break. Good habits are hard to make and easy to break. It's a challenge. It's uphill. It's an it's uphill process. But everything worthwhile in your life is uphill. But I wonder if there are any... Opportunities that actually have distracted you from the main thing. Like Nehemiah, who had a main thing to rebuild the vision, to rebuild the walls around this city, but he was being thrown one distraction after the other. Those distractions are actually look like opportunities, but they can become deadly in your life. Many times they're good things. In fact, for Nehemiah, it wasn't so much, uh, I mean, for Nehemiah, like he had to watch getting a, getting a javelin through the throat. He, he had to watch like, you know, Sanballat and Tobiah, like, you know, the, the Sumerian Im, uh, mafia coming at him and, and meeting him at the local Starbucks and doing a drive-by. He had to worry about serious stuff. But for us, it's not so much always so serious like that. It's the little bitty things that look like opportunities that can actually become deadly. Number two, our tendency is to let the good things take the place of the best things. And so we're not even talking about, like, deadly things, horrible things. We're actually talking about good things. Where God has called us to climb a ladder, to do something, to have vision for our lives, to say no to these things, say no to the good stuff, to say yes to the best. But many times it's good things that distract us from the great things. There's a lot of things in your life that are good, good, but they're not great. A lot, a lot of husbands are distracted by good things. but It's not the great thing. You know, husbands, only you can be the most intimate soulmate for your bride. Nobody else can fill that role for you, should fill that role for you. That, that's a great thing. Don't be distracted by good things. Good things are the, the, extra, the extra money we get on the overtime. Good. Maybe, maybe you have to do it or maybe you just opt up for it every time because you like having that extra money in the bank. Little cushion. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to have a little cushion. But that good thing keeps you from never spending time with the people that matter most. You're going to look back and it's not going to be the midway through 2018. It's going to be midway through your daughter's college years. And you're going to say, where In the world, did the time go? Our tendency is to let good things take the place of the best things. You know what the key culprit is? The key culprit here, okay? Here it is people, people are the culprit to good things taking the place of the best things. There are people in your life, but listen, it's not just people, there's a second blank right there, and here's the problem, this is where we got to confess a little bit, because I think we're all guilty and I'll be the first one to raise a hand. Here's the key culprit to saying, no to, to saying yes to good stuff, and by default saying no to the best things. Here, here it is. People-pleasing. People-pleasing. I mean. Oh, you know how mom is. She just wants it to be a certain way, so we got to go do that. Well, you know how my boss is. I just got to need to do it, and it just is what it is. Or, or uh, you know, I don't want anybody to see me without makeup, so I'm going to spend the uh, hours. It's like we're going. We're just going to Cracker Barrel. Have you been to Cracker Barrel in the morning? No makeup necessary. All right, let's go. But no I just want you know what if we see somebody this is not a true story from my own house promise it isn't but maybe it's it's your house You know my mom I would say some things to my mom being frustrated over something and she gave she said this the other day she said I said well you know I think people will think this and she goes name them Name them the people because many times what you think is if you don't do something a certain way or, or you make a decision that you think people are going to disagree, all of a sudden you create this army in your mind of people that are naysayers towards you. And when really it's probably like one or two people that they don't even have any investment in your life anyway. Who cares what they think? Like they're not even invested in you. You're worried about Susie in accounting talking junk about the new car you drove. drive. Oh, Must be nice. And you're all worried about Sue. So who cares about Susie's opinion of your car? Opinions are like armpits. Everybody has them and usually they stink. <laughs> yeah, that was not spirit led, I'm sure. I'm sure of it. <laughs> but we spend so much of our time trying to please people that really have no skin in the game in your life. Like, live with integrity. Be honest, make wise decisions, and if people got issues, people got issues with you. And be like Nehemiah, I'm not coming down to that level to deal with that stuff. I'm doing a good work, why should I come down to mess with you and stay focused? But here's here's some some important lessons we all need to learn with the people pleasing issue, okay? Number one, you cannot please everyone. Try, I mean, try it, and I'm going to prove it. You're going to learn it the hard way, or you can learn it today. You will not please everyone. I mean, that's true as a pastor in a church. I want to promise you that. Trust me, all kinds of different opinions in the local church. And when a pastor gets into this, this mechanism of trying to please everybody, what happens is the church gets schizophrenic. And the church gets this, this, this multiple personality disorder, where it's trying to please everyone so it's, by default, really not making a big difference for anyone. And so we have to have a, a focus on where we're going, what we're building, what we're about, being true to mission. And if you don't have a true mission direction for your life, if you don't have a clear vision of where you're headed in the future, you can really get your life off course trying to make everybody else happy. And all of a sudden you got the degree in that field that daddy really wanted you to have. And you look back and say, why in the world? I don't even, I, I, I've got this degree in whatever health. And I don't even like to work out. And you're dealing with the realities of pleasing other people. You can't please everyone. Here's another one. You can't please anyone all the time. I mean, there might be someone you can please for a while, but not all the time. <laughs> I mean, 18 years of marriage is, has proven that one to be true in my life. You, 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 we can get along, but there's things I'm going to do that, that, that are going to like, you know, Janet's not going to like. Now, why? I don't know. She's got issues with Jesus. You're going to have to work them out. No, we, we, you can't please, it's a joke. You can't please everyone, anyone all the time. But here is the true statement. Here it is. So you can't make sense of, you know what? Listen, listen. You can't make sense, even as a Christian, you can't please everybody's questions all the time. There are just some things you can't answer, you can't explain, you don't understand. Because guess what? You're not God and you were never called to be God. And people want answers and we want to give them answers. And you know what that does? That moves towards our sense of pride. It's the same thing in the garden. Listen closely. Eve saw the fruit and saw that it was good for gaining wisdom. She thought that if she could get the wisdom, she could have the answers to the questions. And we are still dealing with that same desire of pride and of being in charge even now. Even when people say, if God is so good, why, why is suffering in the world? And we want answers to that. Why? Because we want the wisdom. We want to be like God. That same promise that the old serpent gives to Adam and Eve. And I going to say something to you? There are sophisticated answers of why God does what he does and why God doesn't do what you wish he would do. But the truth of it is, the the, the simple math on it is this, he's God and either you surrender to the reality of a supernatural God that has the capacity to spin the world into motion and send his only son to die for you or you try and figure it out on your own. Those are your options. And when you try to figure things out on your own... You're getting distracted. You're trying to please everybody all the time. There's just some things you can't answer. some things you just, it hurt, people hurt. People, people get lost. People die without the knowledge of a loving Savior. And it's hard, it's hard to, to grapple with, isn't it? But the truth is, you're not going to ever be able to please anyone all the time. But here's what you can do. You can please God. You can please God. God, I don't understand the way you work sometimes, but I surrender to you. God, I don't understand why you've let Jerusalem become a dumpster fire, but you called me to rebuild these walls, and if it's the last thing I do, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm not, I'm not going to be worried about the, the critics on the side, the enemies over here. I'm going to do what you called me to do. Why? Because you're still speaking, you're still capable, you're still God, and I'm still not, and I'm going to lean into who you are and what you do. You still with me so far? So there are some life lessons from the latter. Life lessons from Nehemiah's ladder that he would not come down off of. And we see it all through the story. Let me give them to you quickly. The life lessons from the ladder. Number one, when you're ridiculed, okay, when you're criticized, don't take it out on people. Talk it out with God. But it is a national pastime. Criticism is a national pastime. Baseball, apple pie, criticism. People are critical to the people at work, people they live with, people they're married to. People are cri- critical. Criticism. Critic- criticism. It's snaky. It's sneaky. It's, it, it, it's, it's a snake in the grass. The old criticism. We're critical at the top of our lungs and we're critical at the top of our thumbs on Facebook critical on top of Twitter, you name it. When you're ridiculed, don't take it out on people. Talk it out with God. This is an issue in your house, my house, the church house, and the White House. Where when we get ridiculed and we take it in our own to talk it out instead of take it to God, just prepare yourself for more and more criticism. People will be critical of this church. People are critical of me as a pastor. People are critical of you. And when you just try and put it out on them, you're, you're, you're only putting gas on fires. In fact, here's, here's what we see happen in the story of Nehemiah. Back to these uh, bullies, back to this, you know, Sumerian mafia that wants to take out Nehemiah. When Sanballat heard that they, we were rebuilding the wall, he became all angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said this. He said, please, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Look, look what it says. Will they finish in a day? Like nobody said they were going to finish in a day. But when you got critics that are being critical, they're going to put words in your mouth. They're gonna, think, they're gonna think that they assume that they know what you're doing or what you're thinking. That's how criticism works. Oh, they're gonna finish in a day. And then, you know, he goes on to say, can they even bring these stones back to life from the heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And then his right-hand man, his wingman, Tobiah, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, eh, <laughs> what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it wouldn't break down their wall of stones. Ha, ha, ha. I, you know what, when I read that, maybe it's not, it's obviously not you. But you know who I think of? I think of Jafar and Iago. <laughs> I think of Jafar saying, those feeble Jews. And Iago going, ah, those feeble Jews. <laughs> going to build it in a day. Ah, even a fox can break it down. It's so weak. Ha ha ha!" And Jafar like going, shut up. And how does, how does Nehemiah respond to the criticism? Because he can overhear it. He can hear it right there. He doesn't say, yeah, your mama, Tobiah. <laughs> here's, what, here's what Nehemiah says. Hear, O oh God. I, I did a typo. It's H-E-A-R. Hear, listen, O oh God, for we're despised. Would you turn their insults back over their heads and give them over as plunder in the land of captivity? He's crying out mad at these guys, but who's he crying out to? He's crying out to God. He goes on to say, don't cover their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. They've thrown insults in the face of the builders. He's all mad. Now, can I say something to you? Like, Nehemiah's not given a lot of grace, is he? He's like, basically, let them burn, God. Don't you forgive those suckers. But you know what? If you're going to be upset, if you're going to be off balance because you're going to be, The person you ought to share that with is the God of the cosmos. The person you ought to be frustrated with and say stupid things like that, ungraceful, unkind, mad things. You want to be mad? Huh? You you want to be all critical of someone? Talk to God about it. Because the more you talk to God about it, and the more you listen to what God wants to say, the more you realize how you sound, the more you give it over to him, the more you keep your integrity intact, and you don't have to start fighting all... You come off the ladder of your life, and you're fighting all kinds of gossip and criticism and stupid relationships that have gone sour because you couldn't keep your mouth shut. That's why God brings these Texas love bugs. (laughs) And so you'll learn to keep your mouth shut. Some of you need, you, you need a plague of love bugs around you because you're just talking and you, you need to stop talking. In the book of Proverbs, the Bible says, don't answer a fool according to his folly or you will be like him yourself. Now, Some of you truthfully, you're, you're friends with fools. Sometimes your friends would say the same thing about you. When we answer a fool according to their folly, we take our step off of the ladder on the focus of what God has us doing with our lives, and uh, the peripheral becomes deadly distractions. Reminds me of the story, old story of a a high-end New York attorney, trial lawyer, and just more money he knows what to do with, and one weekend he gets away and flies down to Kansas uh, to, to do some pheasant hunting. Great pheasant hunting in Western Kansas. And he's doing some pheasant hunting. he shoots up, sh- gets a bird, drops the bird, and when he goes to get the bird, the bird has landed just on the other side of the fence line on the lease that he's hunting on. And it's private property. He's just across the fence, so he climbs up the fence. Grabs the bird, and no sooner does he grab the bird in his hands and turn than an old farmer on an old John Deere pulls up, eighty years old. He turns off the the, the John Deere and he says, "Hey, you're on you're on my property." He says, "Oh, I uh, I shot this bird and I was just grabbing it." He said, "Well, if if that bird's on my property, that's my bird. That's not your bird. That's my bird." Attorney kind of bears up a little bit, says, sir, I don't think you know who you're talking to. He says, I don't. <laughs> he goes, I'm, I, I could sue you for everything. I could find something. on. I, I, you, I'm going to take this bird, and you're not going to say another word about it. It's nothing. Get over it. And the farmer says, you know what? You can do that all you want, but I'll tell you, why don't we handle this the Kansas way? He says, what's that? He says, well, it's called the Kansas three-kick rule. Kansas three-kick rule. Yeah. What we do is, this old farmer gets down off his John Deere. He says, Two people in a disagreement, one of them kicks the other guy three times. And then that guy kicks him three times. And you go back and forth until someone finally says, I give up. And the attorney kind of looks at him, sizes up this 80-year-old farmer, and says, I'll do it your way, and no sooner does he say, I'll do it your way, that the 80-year-old farmer kicks him right in the shin with a steel-toed boot and knocks the attorney down to his knees. And he's dazed, and before he can even operate, before he can even say, what in the world just happened, the old farmer kicks him straight in the guts, and he's just like, oh. And he can't even breathe. He's losing his breath. And before he can stagger back up, the guy goes Bruce Lee on him and flips around. Does it, I mean, he's an 80-year-old, but he's doing karate kid moves. And he's flipping around a sidewinder with a steel-toed boot to the side of the head of the attorney. And he's laying on the ground. He's looking in the sky, and he just sees a bird flying by. <laughs> and he gets up. Whew. And after he catches his breath for a second, the attorney said, okay, it's my turn. The farmer said, ha, you know what? You win. You can keep the bird. (laughs) You keep the bird. What's the story? Choose your battles wisely. Choose your battles wisely. You answer a fool according to his own folly, you're going to make trouble for yourself. Another thing we see in here that's so so critical for all of us, write it down the effectiveness of my public life is determined by my private life. Character building happens mainly behind the scenes. It's like, it's like an iceberg. Character is built 90% under the surface you see the results of it 10% above the surface. And Nehemiah's public hold on his tongue, public response to criticism, the way he lived with integrity and kept the main things, the main things, it wasn't just because of what he did in public, it was because all throughout this book, you see Nehemiah spending time in prayer, talking to God, bringing his issues to the Lord. The effectiveness of what you do in your work area is determined by the time you spend in private developing that character. And way beyond character of just being noble, of just being uh, honest, of of just, you know, treating others with respect. It's it's getting ingrained in you. The Christ-like character, conduct, and convictions that only come by spending more time with Jesus. The second lesson we can learn from the latter is this. Know where you're vulnerable and reinforce That area. Although they were building and it took 60 days to build the whole wall, it was a miracle of God and really hard work. There were still some areas that were vulnerable. And Nehemiah says, here's how he deals with the vulnerable places in the wall. I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and their spears and their bows do you know the weak areas of your conduct and character? Are there some exposed areas that you are vulnerable for attack? Lust is a super issue in today's culture. It's become almost just like second nature. And we see the results of a lust-crazed society in even the hashtag me too movement where uh, what we glorify on screen happens in real life and it damages people but we have so just hook line and sinker bought the lie of the enemy sex is a good thing it's a god thing created by god god doesn't let me have any fun he created sex he's a good god But he also created it within the boundaries of a marriage. And he put the boundaries on what a marriage should look like. And he creates good things, but he asks us to keep it within the right boundary lines. And and here's the deal. What used to be, what used to be some kind of uh, uh, thing that you'd buy in a dirty uh, gas station on the corner of Ridge Road is now available in your pocket on a smartphone, we've just become so much more exposed and more vulnerable to things that do not please God. So men and women, married, single, where are you vulnerable? Where have you found yourself making decisions in that certain category and beyond it, beyond, way beyond that category? where you've been exposed to the lies of the enemy, left yourself vulnerable to attack. And you know, the Bible says that he stationed them in those areas. You know, you need some friends around you that will help station in those areas where you're vulnerable. Nehemiah could not run around like like the boy that was trying to, 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 to put his finger in the dam. that that had all the different holes. Like, you can't go up and close the wall by yourself. You need people in your corner. It's why we do community together here. It's why we have groups. It's why we have accountability. It's why we carry one another's burdens, because you can't scale the whole wall and and deal with all the exposed, vulnerable places on your own. I can handle it. Good luck. You need people in your life and in your corner and on your wall that will hold your ladder and help you with the exposed areas. In other words, you got to build and battle at the same time. Some of you come into a church service, whether here or there at ball, and you're, you're battling. And so you come to church because you're battling. Some of you come to church because you're building. So you're not in the battle right now, but you're wanting to build for your family, for yourself. You're wanting to grow in the right character and conduct and convictions according to the word of God. And this is a great way to do that. But you can't just build and you can't just battle. You got to do both. Those who carried materials did the work with one hand and they held a weapon in the other. Each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. And they continued to work. We continued to work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn until the stars came out. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men or the guards with me took off our clothes. I mean, it was not the the greatest smelling bunch of guys. But they had no choice. They weren't going to. Have the luxury of baths when the wall was on the line. They had to choose what was the most important thing and what were they willing to sacrifice for it. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. And you know what this teaches us from the ladder? Persistence is the ultimate test of self leadership. And do you know that there are a lot of people in life, and maybe you and maybe me at a time or two or 10, where we get discouraged where we let down our guard, where we are hoping with all hope, and the answer that comes is not the answer we were praying for. And it's easy to get discouraged. I mean, we've dealt with that in our lives with big things and small things. Big things like like a sister who dies of cancer. You wonder, oh, God, we want to be persistent and but then you get discouraged, and when you're discouraged, you're vulnerable. But being persistent and being faithful, and no matter how many times Sandballot and Geshem and Tobiah came and criticized Nehemiah, he wasn't coming off the ladder. And I want you to define the ladder that God has for you and the wall that He's put you on, and you need to understand, don't be discouraged, everybody. Be persistent. Hang in there. I, I, I have found that when people, are, people get discouraged, when they, when they stop reading their Bible, when they stop praying, when they're not surrounded by a community of believers that iron sharpens iron, when, when, you, when you face your battles alone and you don't talk it out but you hold it on the inside, you internalize, you don't verbalize. You get discouraged. And when you get discouraged, you begin to wonder. And when you begin to wonder, you begin to doubt. And when you begin to doubt, if you don't have anybody to talk it out with, you begin to assume all kinds of things that, that you, that, that, that about God, about why God has done it, why God hasn't, why God won't, why God does. And all of a sudden, again, we come to this place where we're trying to figure out things that are... God's job to figure out. Because we're discouraged. Would you write it down? A discouraged Christian is an ineffective Christian. And I want to say, though, if you're discouraged, you're not alone. Most of the book of Psalms is written by discouraged leaders. (laughs) They say, oh, God, help. God, what? And do you know that the whole story of God is God responding to you in your moment of need? An earthly dilemma that requires a heavenly solution. God is able to deal with your discouragement and get you back into perseverance and persistence. Isaiah, I like how Isaiah says it. Look at these scriptures that God gives us. Whenever we're dealing with things, he gives us promises to hang on to. He says, fear not. I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I'm your God. I'll strengthen you, I'll help you, and I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know what that says to me? I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to give you strength that you don't have. So when we get the strength that we don't have, sometimes when we get that strength, we then forget God. and We try and do it on our own. He says, no, 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 You're not going to do it on your own. I'm going to help you. Because even with the strength I give you, your strength is imperfect. My strength is Perfect. And even beyond that, the truth is I'm going to uphold you. Because even with the strength I give you, you're never going to be able to stand just on your own. You need me in your life. You need me in your life. Psalm 34, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. But one of my absolute favorites is Isaiah 42. God is saying, I'm going to lead the blind in a way that they do not know. They can't even grasp it because they can't even see. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. Look what God says. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. And I just, lo- I just love what God says here, friends. These are the things I do. Like, this is, this is what I, this is my job. This isn't just some happenstance that every once in a while on occasion that I will be strong. No, his job as God is to bring hope. His job, his, his desire, his, his excitement, his hobby is to bring you help and hope in a time that you need it. He said, this is the stuff I do. It's almost like saying with one hand behind my back, I got this. And it don't matter how many hands you could ever have. My hands are big enough and strong enough and caring enough to be with you in your moment of need. The truth is, as we end this part of the Old Testament, we now go into 400 years of silence where there is no more prophets, there is no more speaking. There is is no more books being written for four centuries. The Jews barely eke out existence and they're taken captive again by Rome. And they begin to ask the question that they've been asking for a long time, when will we be delivered? When will the Messiah come? What are we going to do? And they had no hope. They were discouraged. And that 400 years of silence is broken by the greatest gift of all, Jesus, who will come and live a sinless life and die an excruciating death and be risen with the power of the Most High God to show us you never have to walk in silence ever again. You never have to walk alone ever again. In fact, You don't even have what it takes to rebuild all the walls in your life. So Jesus comes. And Jesus does the rebuilding. Jesus does the battling. Jesus does the restoration. And it's not to build walls so that we can have a temple where we can celebrate. He says, I'm going to rebuild the walls of your heart and be with you. God with us. Let's pray. With eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here today and you're discouraged, maybe it's not discouraged just because you're going through a tough time, maybe it's because you've been trying to live life on your own, I want you to know that the good news today is Jesus has not forgotten you. Even if you've known the path to take but you've drifted, He is ready with grace again. He would not give you this moment. To hear the words, you would not be in this church service looking for something if he didn't still love you very, very much. He loves you. And he's not mad at you, but he does have bigger plans for you. Plans for you to get off the throne of your heart and for him to invite, for you to invite him to lead the way. You got it all figured out. You got all the ideas surrender to Jesus today. If you're here and and that's you, you're like, Pastor, would you include me in a prayer? I want to recenter my life with Jesus today. If that's you, I want you to know I'd love to pray with you, but you have to be the one that means it in your heart. I can't mean it for you, but I'll guide you in a prayer. But that's you, Pastor, I want to recenter my life in Christ today. For the first time, or the first time in a long time, just right now, just put a hand up in the air. I need to recenter my life with Jesus. Yeah, several hands several hands they're in diabol, just raising i need to recenter my life in christ today you can put your hands down in your own words you say jesus i invite you to be the lord of my life i make a pretty lousy lord of my life (laughs) but you god sending your one and only son to go through what i go through to show me that you know what life is like and then you raise again and your spirit is with me when i invite him in Thank you, Jesus. I surrender to you today. I don't have all the answers, and I I know I'm not going to be perfect, but thank you for giving me this day to make things right with you. Guide me. I want to be open to your whispers, God. Help me, Lord, to make the wise decision. Lord, help me to, to make the most important things the most important things. And there is no more most important thing other than you. Thank you for giving me this day to make things right with you. For the rest of us here, maybe there's a discouragement. There's something you've been meaning to build. There's something you've been meaning to change. Something you've been meaning to start. Something you've been meaning to finish. And by God's grace and help, you want to you relaunch into what God's calling you to do. And you're not going to come down off the wall. And be distracted anymore. If that's you, and with courage and boldness, you want to declare that today, would you put a hand up? I'm not, I'm not coming off the wall anymore. I'm not coming off the wall. I'm going to fix the exposed places by the help of Jesus Christ. Yeah, put your hands down. Me too, everybody. Jesus, thank you that you've not left us. You're not going to forsake us, but you're right there. God, we, we, we lean into you. You guide us. You know know when it's time to rest. You know when it's time to battle. You know when it's time to build. You know when it's time to do both. And God, we surrender to your good wisdom. We will be encouraged today. In other words, we will be with courage today. May we have the courage and willingness to act upon it today. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen.